But uh, we are in a passage of Scripture about the Antichrist, the one world ruler. People often like to say, uh, what's it going to be like in the future? Well, the Bible's told us what it's going to be like in the future. It's not going to get any better. We like to think it's going to get better. I mean, you might have a politician get in power, and you're like, yes, I finally got my politician in power. Well, understand this, that a politician, one politician, can only do so much. Now, they can advocate for a lot of good things, and they can do great things. But they cannot turn, ultimately, the trajectory of a nation. You know what the fact is that God, we were even speaking about this morning in Sunday school, about Israel and Judah. They went into gross idolatry and great punishment and consequences came upon them. If you live your life for yourself, I'll do it my way, you will face many unintended consequences. You will face a life of a lot of heartache and pain. And so what we must understand, what we must realize and live out is my King Jesus is superior to the world ruler Antichrist. Amen. Jesus is king. In 1870, a bishop of the church was told by someone who made this prediction. He said, in 50 years, men will fly through the air like birds. When this bishop or pastor heard that, he said, you better not make that statement again. And here's what he said in his own words. Flight is reserved for the angels, and I beg you not to repeat your statement, lest you be guilty of blasphemy. Well, that was in 1870. Just a few years later, 33 years later, that very bishop's own sons, Wilbur and Orville Wright, launched their powered aircraft there. What a blunder for that very pastor. Now let me take you to another blunder. Thomas Watson, who was chairman of IBM, he said in 1943, I think there may be a world market for maybe five computers. Ken Olson, who was president, chairman, and founder of Digital Equipment, said in 1977, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. All right. Here was a Western Union internal memo in 1876. This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. This device inherently is of no value to us. I don't think they got it right. We know they didn't because every one of us, I believe, most of us would have a phone in our pocket. That very phone is smarter than any of those computers they had back then. Well, let's just tell us that people don't know the future. Now, only God knows the future. Now, here's a great verse, even before we get into Revelation 13. It's found in Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Only God can prophesy The passage of Scripture is speaking of the man of Christ, the Antichrist, who will rule the world. Would you follow along with me as we read the first ten verses here in Revelation chapter 13? We'll be revisiting these. Uh, There's so much truth here, uh, and uh, I think I've got like 17 pages of notes. So we will not get through it, most likely, Lord willing, today. Uh, But uh, let's start off with this. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13, the last book of your Bible, uh, chapter 13, and then starting in verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat in great authority. And I saw one of his heads, as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast." 
And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, and them that dwell therein. It was given unto him to make war with the saints and overcome them, and power was given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man hear, if any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. There's a lot of stuff going on here. I want to describe what is going on here, but... The past, what we're speaking of is a man, a one-world ruler that is coming. And his name, he will be the Antichrist, as the scripture uh, speaks of him. He'll rule the world. He will give his power, he gets his power from Satan, and he does his will against God. It is amazing how many times throughout history that Satan seeks to alter, disrupt, and change the very prophecies that God has given and shown to man. Yet he always fails. You know what, if you always fail at doing something, I don't think, you know, if you try to do something, you realize, hey, I'm not any good at it. You try again, 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 you try again. And you know what, Satan still thinks he's going to get the victory over God. He doesn't understand leadership. He doesn't understand authority. No, he, uh, he recognizes it, but he doesn't understand it. I mean, in his anger and his bitterness and his fierceness and his uh, just absolute detesting of God, he thinks he can do life his way and get the world to follow him without the consequences that he knows are coming. How foolish. Do you all realize this? In 2 Peter, if you want to turn with me here to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, still in the introduction here. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible gives us so many different truths over and over and over again, and every prophecy has always been fulfilled in the context of what is stated. It's always been fulfilled. All the prophecies of the coming Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I mean, he was virgin born. He, I mean, he was 750 up to 1,000 years before him. He would be so marred they wouldn't recognize him that his own friend would betray him as Judas, as the Psalms tells us. My own familiar friend hath lifted up his heel again me. We find that in Jesus, the prophecies that were given of the coming Messiah have been fulfilled. I was watching the news last night, and there was this particular rabbi talking about what's going on over in Israel and Hamas and that whole battle and conflict and all that mess. And then this guy says, oh, we're looking for the Messiah to come. Oh, my friend, he's already come. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your heart. A more sure word of prophecy. You know what? If someone's going to tell me they're going to do something, I'll give a great credit. I may, you know, if, if you've proved yourself an individual, hey, if I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. But God says, even more so than if I were to say or you were to say, I'm going to be there, God says it's already, it's going to happen. If it's a prophecy, it's going to happen. Now, as we study this passage of Scripture here in Revelation chapter 13, there's several words that are used several times over. The word is blasphemy or blaspheme, and the other word is power. You see, the world's downfall started with the sin of man, and it will end with the man of sin. The sin of man, and the world ends with the man of sin. The sin of man and the man of sin, before Jesus rules and reigns. 
It is interesting how the worldly Messiah, Messiah, as the world envisions, and how the virtue, and how Jesus, as the true Messiah, they stand 180 degrees different from one another. The man of sin who enters the world is like Satan incarnate in human form. Everything he does is for himself and to increase his reign of power. Now, Jesus, in contrast to this, in John 6, 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. The Antichrist says, I am the greatest, I'm the smartest, I'm the most handsome, beautiful, and all of these things. It says, I mean, the very, we're going to look at, I mean, it's unbelievable, the contrast of what the world wants in a world ruler and what the Bible says Jesus, as the Messiah, has already done. The Messiah of the world and the Messiah of the Bible are completely opposite. Satan's child here in the Antichrist, a, a world seeks for a father who is quite different from God the Father. A world seeks for a king much different from the king of kings. A world seeks for a government who lets them do as they please without any justice on sin, which is much different from a God which sets boundaries to protect his citizens. Let me look at the description of this earthly king in comparison to Christ, and, and may we realize how wonderful Jesus is. He is a true ruler, and how vile is this wicked ruler that will come. Friend, Stop looking at this world. Stop looking at the politics and philosophy and religion and psychology for the answers for life. All of these have a father, Satan, whose ways are completely in contrast to the God of the Bible. I'm telling you, the Bible has the answer. Satan mimics Christ, but his substitute is never truly in comparison or equal to the greatness of our Savior. To fight Satan and the wickedness of this world is to focus on always glorifying Christ no matter what. We ought to glorify Christ. Jeremiah 13, 16. I was reading it this week in my devotions and it, it tied in so well with this. I said, oh my, oh my. Turn with me here to Jeremiah 13, 16. Man, this Bible is amazing. You get into this book and you just see, God just opens your eyes and you're seeing things you never saw. And it, man, it, you just like, I don't know what to do in life. And you begin to get in the book and the book just, man, it shows you things. This book is alive. It's real. It, I mean, God speaks to us through this book. I mean, we're reading it and we're like, whoa, I never saw that before. I mean, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this Bible might be a very boring thing. But man, if you know Christ and his spirit is helping you to understand this book, it is exciting. It's alive. You realize here in Jeremiah 13, 16, as we had in our theme verse here in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, about giving God glory. Jeremiah 13, 16, the Bible tells us, give glory. Glory to the Lord your God before he caused darkness, before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains, and while you look for light, he turned it in the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. That's there in Jeremiah 13, 16. God says, give glory to the Lord your God uh, before he caused darkness. You know what? If we're not going to give God praises and thanks, God says darkness is coming your way. Christian, it is incumbent upon you of all people that are to be thankful, that are to be joyous, that are to be peaceful, it ought to be the blood-bought, born-again, Bible-believing Christian. You ought to have joy. 
That's what God's called us to do. He says, give glory to God. If you're not giving glory to God, you're going into darkness. You're going to look at the circumstances of your life. And, and I understand there's tragedies and trauma and stuff that happens in our lives. And we get all discouraged. And we say, oh my. But you know what? When Peter was sinking there in the water, Jesus lifted him up. And he had to get his eyes back on Christ. He had to glorify Christ because when he was sinking, God lifts him up. Who The only person that could save him was the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're in a horrible circumstance and I'm going to look to someone else I'm going to look to a friend and you go back to your home and you're like I feel so lonely have I been there I've been there so many times and there's still times I'm there I said God I'm discouraged God says you need to bring me glory you need to just thank me for what I've done and, and you know what it gets me out of the negative pit of all the 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 junk that I'm looking at and I begin to see how wonderful Christ is and I said oh my it changes my attitude King Jesus is greater than world ruler Antichrist. And the point of this morning is don't be distracted by politics and a sea of people. Keep your eyes on Jesus and know true peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I yield today to Thee. Father, I need Your energy. I need Your mind and Your thoughts. I pray for the words that are said. Father, for these dear people, Lord, you know each and every one of them. You know what they're going through, the challenges of their lives. And Father, there may be some today that are not certain of their eternity. God, I pray that they wouldn't resist, that they'd realize how wonderful Jesus is. And stop looking in all different places, but just realize that Jesus is the need of their heart and their life. Father, we look forward to Jesus returning, but we also look to you on a daily basis and moment-by-moment moment basis. Lord, I need thee every hour, moment-by-moment. Moment. And Father, as the words go forth from your, thy holy word, God, I pray that you just help us. Lord, we need thy presence and your strength. Help us to be found faithful. Thank you for your being such a gracious and wonderful Savior. I love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen. I want to see here, first of all, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, and I stood upon the sand of the sea. Now in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible tells us, uh, Satan, who is a prince of the power of the air, that is of this world. Now, it also tells us in John 12, 31, the prince of this world shall be cast out. That's Satan. And uh, Satan deceives the whole world, Revelation 12, 9. We we, we told, we, uh, the Bible tells us that in Revelation 12, 9. He deceiveth the whole world. Why are there so many religions today? Because if there's a singularity to Christ, you're not coming to God. But if there's a multitude of beliefs, then you can have anything you want and not get to Christ. Plurality gets us away from Jesus unto everything else. Everything is okay to Satan as long as it's not Jesus. Because he doesn't want you to come to God. He doesn't want you to be a part of God's family. He doesn't want you to live in heaven forever. He wants to take you to where he's going to for eternity. He deceives the whole world. Now, the sand of the sea, I want you to look with me. The Bible gives us a commentary on what is the sand of the sea. Look with me at chapter 17 of Revelation, verse 15. The Bible very clearly tells us. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. Revelation 17, 15, the sand of the sea, verse 15 of Revelation 17, he saith unto me, the waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are people and multitudes and nations and tongues. 
And, uh, and, and then we're going to talk about the horns and those sorts of things coming forth. But nevertheless, the sand of the sea here in Revelation 13, that's just the world, the nations, the people. And you find that in Genesis 22, 7, about Israel being the sand of the sea. And, uh, you know, just, they're innumerable. Uh, Joshua eleven four is the sand that is upon the seashore multitude. I mean, the Jewish people all throughout the centuries, innumerable. And you find that phrase, uh, that phrase, the sand of the sea, or sea, or that kind of idea, just as, you know, you go to the, the beach, and there's sand there. I mean, you have, imagine you had to count every grain of sand on that seashore. You'd never do it. You'd never do it. I mean, you, and plus that'd be the most boring job ever, but nevertheless, you're like, oh, well, was that one, did those, oh man, that grain stuck to that grain, did I miss some, you know, did I get triples, did I get, you know, whatever. You're not going to get it perfect. But it's just, there's a, there's a great number of sand, there's a great number of, of grains of sand. There's, I mean, a mass amount of people. We're over 8 billion people in the world today. An unfathomable amount of people. But the Bible tells us, and, and the people today, if you look at, people are looking for a world ruler to bring peace to this earth. To stop these wars. To stop the death. To, you know, they're looking really to rescue them from, there's all sorts of ideas that I, I don't want this type of government, I don't want this type of government, and I don't want fascism, or I don't want a religion, or I don't want Western imperialism, or I don't want Jewish occupation. There's all sorts of ideologies that we want to be delivered from. Whatever it is, all over this world, there's people saying, I wish there was a government like this. But it's all different for every person. The world's Messiah stands in contrast to the God of the Bible, and I encourage all to refuse the thought of the world's Messiah for the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now I want to look at the nature of, this, of these rulers, Jesus versus the Antichrist. Number one, we come to the ancestry. The Bible tells us in John 6, 38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus said, listen, I came from heaven to do the Father's will. Look with me at Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. Let's see the character of this Antichrist, where he came from. Chapter 11, verse 7 of Revelation. Now, politics today <laughs> is a career field, a career that is noted for the corruption. It's noted for a lot of lies. You follow the money into politics, you'll oftentimes see why particular uh, petitions and lobbying actions are done on the behalf of our government. You know, it's kind of like you look at this politician, why do they keep pushing this particular agenda? Well, you follow the money and there's enough people pushing money to them. Hey, I'm going to go where the money is. They, you know, and there's a lot of corruption. Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, When they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. This is there with the, the two evangelists that are on earth preaching. This beast, that there he ascends out like the character of the beast is, who is like his father Satan. I mean, he very, Satan here with this man and dwelling him and pushing him forward to carry out a world agenda of I'm going to bring all people unto a belief in me and remove you from Christ. I don't want you to believe in God. I don't want you to believe in all of that. You can believe in me, much like North Korea does today. They, the North Korean ruler believes that he is is like some deity and they want people to worship him and north korea is a place of unspeakable 
uh, oppression. It is unbelievable, uh, just human rights violations. There's that all over the world. But in John chapter 8, verse 44, we learn about this Antichrist. You have your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's a deceiver. 2 Thessalonians, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. This Antichrist is going to come with signs and wonders and people are going to be like, whoa, did he just do that? And with all the seevilness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Listen here, my friend. This Antichrist that's coming, he's coming because all the work and everything he's doing and all the empowerment that Satan's given to him to do signs and wonders and supernatural events, you're going to look at him and you're going to believe him if you don't know Jesus Christ. See, Christians are going to be gone from the tribulation. This is a seven-year period where a one-world ruler will rule this world, and we're going to be deceived. And you're deceived if you don't receive the truth of what the Bible says. You're deceived. And we go after that. You don't love the truth. In addition, we find here something else that's quite interesting. This Antichrist, upon having seven heads, that is the seven heads uh, there is, uh, and, and ten horns, the seven heads is seven mountains and, uh, where he'll sit. And uh, we find that there in Rome. Rome today has seven mountains all together. And uh, he's going to arise from the old Roman Empire. Now, if we find here in our... Uh, this form that I had, this little sheet uh, there on the table out by the men's washroom, uh, there's a little image here of a man, uh, a, kind of a Babylonian type image, a man with a head of gold. That was the Babylonian Empire. Daniel chapter 2 talks about this, this image. And uh, he had a horrible dream, Nebuchadnezzar did. He calls in Daniel. Daniel interprets a dream for him. And you can read Daniel chapter 2 if you'd like. Uh, but in Daniel chapter 2, verses 41 through 44, so let me just explain and then I'll get to the feet here. This is the feet, is one that Antichrist will rule. So the head is the Babylonian Empire. Okay, that's already come and gone. You have the silver. The silver was the Medo-Persian Empire. That's already come. The Persians, they've already come. And then you come to the brass, which is the Grecian Empire. Those of Greece. Those are the first three. They'll talk about three horns and then another little horn coming up. These are the first three horns. The Babylonian Empire... The uh, Medo-Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire. Okay, so then you come to the legs of iron, the waist of iron. That is the Roman Empire. Why are there two legs? Well, because the Roman Empire would split Western and Eastern empires. So in this split, we still have that today. The image seen, but what did Jesus? This guy comes from a royal lineage. This Antichrist, royal. Uh, Roman Empire. But how did Jesus come? Did Jesus come as a, a king the first time? No, he will come back. The Bible tells us in John 6, 15, when Jesus thereby, therefore perceived that they could come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Jesus says, hey, they want to make Jesus king. Jesus said, I didn't come to be a king at this time. Jesus came to be rejected. He was rejected. They wanted to make him a king, but Jesus said, I didn't come to be a king. This Antichrist that comes as a Messiah, then we come in this image here of the, ten, the toe, the two feet, ten toes. 
In second, uh, Daniel chapter 2, 41 through 44, this kingdom, we've, you can look in history. There was a Babylonian empire. There was a, there was a Persian empire, Medes and Persians. There was a, uh, an empire of Greece. We know that. I mean, you talk about Greek, uh, Greek mythology today. There was a Greek empire. There was a Roman empire. Then you have the two legs, and then you have the two feet with ten toes. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 41, if you want to turn there, I'll read this for you and give a little bit more uh, discussion on this. But this is what's going to happen. There's going to be these ten toes, the, the ten crowns, as we find here. The ten crowns here, Revelation 13, 1, those ten crowns are ten kings that will unite themselves with this one ruler and they'll prop them up to power. There's allies today. There's like the United Nations. There's all these nations together. And, and then there's... Uh, there was the North American Free Trade Agreement. There's, uh, there's all sorts of different uh, allies in this world today. And they all come together. Well, what we're finding today, a very, and, and in all of this, it's discussed, this Roman Empire, this Roman ruler that's going to come as a one-world ruler, he is going to have an emphasis on power and an emphasis on him. He's all about himself. There's certain dominant personalities today of rulers, and you're like, I can't stand that guy or that person. Man, they're so arrogant. Much is going to be like this world ruler that's coming. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 41, And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, and as the toes of the feet... We're part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. They shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It shall stand forever. There's a rock that's going to come, and it's going to crush the feet of this, this statue and all of these empires throughout the centuries are going to be forever eliminated because Jesus will be king. And what we find here in the Roman influence of these ten toes and the iron and clay mixture is there's culture and politics and values and philosophy. Understand this today. The Roman Empire, the Western world today, is largely descendant of the old Roman Empire. You said, no, we're not. Well, the West is not cohesive, but it's a dominant force in the world economically, politically, culturally, religiously, and philosophically. It is not an empire. Let me read this for you. We'll read it a little further, but rather an era. It is strong in its pervasiveness, weak. There's no cohesiveness. We find many, you have the European Union and you have the Western and all sorts of things. There's all these Western powers and all these various nations that are here. The Western world's colonial history do not cleave one to another. Nevertheless, Western influence pervades most of the world as we speak. This author goes on to say, David Sorensen, he says, the nations of the world today, for the most part, have Republican forms of government with a Senate. We have a Senate here. There's a Senate in the States, and there's other nations that have a Senate. The nations of the world have university systems founded by the Romans. The world's science and medical terminology is rooted in Latin, the ancient languages of Rome. American, fund, American currency, the, the money, has Latin words print on it. The world's judicial system, the justice system, is mostly partly Roman in form. All in all, we still live in the Roman era of human history. See, Israel, Rome, when it, when it 
was defeated, but it wasn't totally defeated. It kind of just spread out, and it's very weak. It's not a very uh, strong empire together because we understand there's all sorts of different empires in the world today, but they're still going back to the Roman Empire and a lot of the way that they function, these nations and governments function today. <coughs> it is out of this that this one-world ruler will come. And Daniel chapter 7 speaks further about this. But Jesus, in contrast, the Antichrist in Micah chapter 2, chapter 5, verse 2, excuse me, Jesus would arise from the stalls, the animal stalls, of a small town called Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. See, Jesus came from heaven. Jesus is everlasting. Jesus is God. And yet Jesus came to earth to rescue man from sinfulness, to reconcile back into God. But this Antichrist, this one world ruler, he's coming to bring you unto himself. He's coming to uh, draw. Jesus said, I came to do the will of him that sent me. Jesus came to world as a little baby in a stall, in a manger. The Antichrist comes in a various triumphant fashion. People are going to look at him. They're going to look at all the signs and the wonders and the things he does. And they're just going to be like, oh, wow. He's got to be the real man. He's got to be the one we've got to follow. But notice this. He is a blasphemer, as the Bible tells us. And upon his head's the name of blasphemy. It says, upon his horns, ten crowns, and every one of these horns, these crowns, these horns, are the ten kings, the ten toes of that image there in Daniel chapter 2, the ten kingdoms that it will ally there with the king, the one world ruler, to prop him up. There's ten nations. They all come together. They're like, man, let's get with this one world ruler. Let's make this world under our authority, and we'll make it a place of peace. Realize this, that people want praise and reverence today. We want to be accounted as good. You realize what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 17? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. This, this antichrist, this idea of blasphemy, he denigrates, he lowers God. Ah, oh, he's just the God of the Bible. Ah, oh, he's just like any other God. He doesn't matter. It's okay. Believe what you want. That whole like yin and yang and that whole coexist little symbol that you find, that is an idea of the pluralism that will ultimately lead people to this antichrist where they'll believe in him and away from Jesus. The very term antichrist, it speaks of those who speak against Christ. They're not confirmed, that, convinced that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is who they need. No, they'll follow a different doctrine. They'll follow different teachings. This antichrist is known as the prince that shall come in Daniel chapter 9. It talks about him confirming a covenant for one week. That's seven years. He'll make a peace agreement with Israel. How many times in our history, and here in Canada and the States and in the Western nations, has there been a desire to make peace with Israel? There's always a desire. Let's have a peace agreement and stop the war. Even today, uh, even in this day and era, with all the fighting going on over there with Hamas and Israel and the West Bank and all of this chaos that's erupting over there in the Middle East and, and there in that realm of the world, there 
is a desire for nations to say, let's pause, let's put a ceasefire, let's have peace. Well, this one world ruler, he's going to have a seven-year peace agreement that he's going to make with Israel. And they're going to come together. He is noted as a vile person in Daniel chapter 11. There's the abomination of desolation in Matthew chapter 24. Abomination of desolation. He comes into the very temple that the Israelites will make during the seven-year period. And he goes into it, and like, much like they did in history with Antiochus Epiphanes around the year zero BC, or before that, Antiochus Epiphanes would slaughter a pig on the altar there in the temple. Well, as you know from Jewish tradition, pigs were unclean. And he would do quite opposite of what was necessary because this Antichrist says, hey, I don't care about the God of the Bible. It's all about me. But he's just like his father, Satan. He questions God's word. Satan would question Adam and Eve there in the garden. Yea, hath God said? He's known as the man of sin, the son of perdition, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. In fact, the word perdition is simply sense of destruction or perishing. He's perishing. He's also called the wicked in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. But there's a pride versus a humility. And he finds this man who has an emphasis upon power and politics and world ruler. And I'm getting further here. I'll talk about this leopard and this here in just a moment. I, I, I hope this is making sense. But he's going to come, this one world ruler, he's going to come with ten nations that are going to all band together. They're going to be with him as their ruler and they're going to rule the world. And they're going to make war against Israel. Sure, they'll have a seven-year peace agreement. But he's going to rule in pride, not in humility. I'd like you to look with me that the Antichrist is exactly like Satan, who's his father. And every person that doesn't know Jesus Christ is their savior. Satan is their father. As the Bible tells us, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. You know what, Christian? We can easily get distracted and look at the government and say how bad the government is. And the government is evil. Has the government done horrible things? Absolutely. You can't deny that. But there will never, ever be a good government until the day that Jesus sits on the throne of this world. The world, the, the governments are always going to fail you. They're going to fail someone. They're not going to be right. They're going to have wrong policies. There will always be bad governments. Always. Throughout history, you look at governments, there have been despots and tyrants throughout all of history. Evil, evil people. You know, if I'm focusing on a government to save me, all we've ever found in history of a government ultimately saving people is it might be for a period of time, a short period of time, where there's a time of peace. But you look at the big picture, ultimately they've never been, in a long span of history, never been a perfect government. And the reason is there's a pride that comes, and, and these political rulers, they give themselves to arrogance and pride. Look at me. Well, because they're following the father of this world. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nation? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount 
of the congregation, the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. It's pride. And so often our government officials and, and leaders of, of, of this world in all various aspects, it's pride. And second, look with me at 2 Thessalonians in a very similar sentiments of this Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. All the T books in the New Testament are all together. First and Second Timothy, first and second, or first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, and Titus. All the T books are all together. So if you want to find a, if you find one T book, just keep looking. It starts with Thessalonians and then goes to the Timothy and Titus. But Second Thessalonians uh, chapter two, verse three. I'm so thankful that the Bible gives us the truths of what is coming our way. But the Antichrist, he's going to exalt himself. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. This is where a lot of believers start to go away from God. God and church and all that are no longer important. Except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed. This is the Antichrist, the son of perdition. Notice with me what it gives as, an exa- as a further description of him in verse 4. Who opposeth... And exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's exactly like Satan. He's Satan in human form. Now what happens when pride happens in your life? When pride is in your life, when pride is in your home, when pride is in our politics, what happens? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention. But the well-advised is wisdom. Notice with me, when someone is arrogant and focused on themselves, there will be drama. There's always going to be drama. You're like, hey, I'm better than you, ha ha, you know. And, and you begin to get boastful. Someone else is going to say, uh-uh. And then you're going to have fighting. Pride brings fighting all the time. The Bible tells us this very clearly. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, is that we get a first uh, uh, idea and some descriptions of this Antichrist. Turn with me here to Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. The world, this Antichrist is going to come on the world. I will bring peace. But if you, ha- if you want to bring peace in pride, you'll never have peace. You're going to have wars. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Why is there so much fighting today? There's pride. Revelation 6, 2. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. This is the idea here of peace. And he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And and, and find this. So he has a bow, a, a tool for battle. He has a crown, a peace signifying political power. But he goes forth to conquer, conquering, and to conquer. He's going into battle. There's fighting. When there is pride, if there's pride in your home, and you're like, why is our home always so dramatic? Why is there so much strife? Why is home no longer a restful place? You might want to start looking inside and say, maybe there's some pride in my heart. Maybe I'm being arrogant with my family members. Maybe I'm saying things I ought not to say in the way I ought not to say it. Because there's pride in your heart. The Antichrist will bring, he says he's bringing peace, but if you're proud, you can't bring peace. It's impossible. Pride brings contention. 
Matthew 24, 6, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of war, and see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. But Proverbs 13, 10 is still true today as it was when it was written by Solomon under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Only by pride cometh contention. You will not have peace. Look with me at Daniel chapter 8, verse 25. Another description of this Antichrist. You know, we oftentimes, <clears throat> we go from, man, life is horrible. Oh, I'm the worst person. I'm no good. I can't do this. Woo, I'm the best. And you like go on this roller coaster of emotions. You're going from pride up high to pride down low, but you don't get that humble spot of, hey, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. Pride brings contention. If there's fighting in a home, there's pride. Always. Somebody is exalting themselves above another. Daniel chapter 8, verse 25. And through his policy, this is of the Antichrist, also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace, he comes on the, on the truth of peace, shall destroy many. He's going to kill many people. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. That's Jesus Christ. But he shall be broken without hand. The Antichrist is going to be very, very arrogant and proud. But I want to tell you something else. Here's a contrast to this. How is Jesus given in Revelation 7, 17? So you have one man as a world ruler who is coming. He's not going to be proud. He isn't proud. In Revelation 7, 17... A description of our Messiah. Not the world's Messiah, our Messiah, the biblical Messiah. Revelation 7, 17, For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them into living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This Messiah, the Messiah of the Bible, he says, listen, you're going through hard times. I want to wipe away those tears. I'm going to lead you to living fountains. I want you to not only, I don't want you just to get through life. I don't want you to only just hold on and hang on and maybe I'll get through life and hopefully I live to a ripe old age. No, God says, listen, that lamb in the midst of the throne, he's going to feed you. He's going to give you the book that'll help you day by day how to live life, how to deal with circumstances and trials. This lamb, he feeds and refreshes you. Notice with me, the first, the, the Antichrist comes as like a, a, a magnificent powerful entity a bear and a lion and a leopard and all of this powerful type animals but jesus comes as a lamb but the lamb defeats the lion i want you to look with me in another passage of scripture about this lamb matthew chapter 23 you see when i'm desiring all the power and the might of politics over the lamb I'm foregoing that living fountain. I'm foregoing being fed on a daily basis. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. If we have the ability in this land and the freedom to vote, vote. But, ultimately at the end of the day, my vote is not where my hope lies. Because I know, at best, whatever time period, my particular candidate is going to be ousted and somebody else is going to come in. They're either going to get too old to come out or something else will happen, but they're going to be out of office after a time. But Jesus doesn't lose office. 
In Matthew chapter 23, verse 9, let me turn there as I'm speaking. Matthew 23, verse 9. What does Jesus say to us? And call no man your father upon earth. So, you know, I've had people say, they call me father. I'm like, please don't call me father. You know, I'm a daddy to my daughter, but that's about it. You know, I'm no father like some priests and stuff. It says, and call no man your father upon earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. If you want to call someone father, call the God, God the Father. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. That means God's going to knock the feet out from underneath of you. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. You know what? Jesus says, Jesus came to serve the people. The Antichrist comes to be served. Politics want us to serve them. There's a mentality I heard even not several years ago, but they said they, they treat the public, the po- politicians treat the public like a customer. No, the public is the employer. The public puts the politician in power. The public should be the employer, not the customer. There's a difference in thinking. Politicians are thinking we serve them. No, they serve us. And Jesus came to serve us, and he's called us as believers to serve others. He's called us. Don't elevate yourself. Jesus will elevate us in due time. It's not about me, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. As I said there in John 13, 16, if God gets the glory, we don't go into darkness. If I continue to give God the glory, I don't go into darkness. But if I fail to glorify God, I go into darkness. Because I focus on circumstances. And if you're in some really troubling circumstances today, you know what? It'd be a joy to sit down from the Bible and show you some truths from God's Word about whatever is going on in your life. And then to begin to write down some positive things, some thankfulness and some joy. And some th- you're like, I, I, I can't, life is horrible right now. If you knew what I was going through, there's not one good thing that I could say. You still have Jesus on the throne. You still have a God that loved you so much. He went to that cross and died for all the wickedness you've ever done. When people who've done a lot of evil in their life, they said, God would never accept me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God is not willing that any should perish. God wants a relationship with you today. Jesus is calling, is calling today. And Christian, I'm not looking for the government to save me. I know in the end state, the government of this world is going to go towards a one world ruler. People are looking for a government to fix their problems. The government can't fix your problems. The true biblical Messiah, he can. He's come. It's this Jesus, the Jesus of this book, the Bible, that wants to indwell you. He wants to help you. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. The Antichrist comes with peace, but he only comes to conquer. I want you to be a part of me, says the Antichrist. Jesus says, I want to help you get through life. There's a difference. One comes to serve, one comes to be served. And if you're wanting to do life your own way, don't you dare tell me what to do, some might say. Then you're going to end up serving the Antichrist. You will be deceived, and you will serve. You're going to serve something. You say, I only serve myself. Well, if you're serving yourself, 
there's lusts and other things that you're going to be serving and you'll be a slave to those very things. You say, Pastor, that's not a very optimistic outlook. Well, it is optimistic because we know that someday Jesus is coming back and all the evil of this world will be vanquished. It'll be put away and Jesus will rule and reign. He'll wipe away all tears from our eyes. My King Jesus is superior to Lord Antichrist. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I don't care what you've done, the Bible, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you're through, what you, I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your criminal record is. It doesn't matter. Before God, we are all sinners. And you call out to God, please forgive me, I'm a sinner. Lord, I recognize Jesus alone. He died on that cross for my sins. I know I'm guilty before God. I know I'm not a good person. Oh God, please forgive me and be my Savior. And if you'll call to God in humility, guess what? He will make you his child. And he's going to wipe your sins as far as the east and from the west. And it's not that it goes around a globe. As far as the east is from the west, it never meets. Your sins are forever gone from God's judgment. You can be forgiven this morning. Call out to Jesus. And Christian, maybe you're in your life, you've got discouraged. Maybe there's some hard things in your life. Can I say, just let's glorify Christ. Let's say how good God is. What are some things that I can pray and thank God for? You said, I can't think of anything. Well, if you're saved, that's one good thing. That's a marvelous thing. You're here in church this morning, so you have some help. You're here in a country with some liberties, and I understand there's real problems in this country, but you've had the liberty to come to church this morning without persecution. There's many things that we could talk and rejoice in the Lord about. I need to begin to look and say, God, I'm thankful for this. We can get easily downcast and begin to look at all these problems. Somebody needs to solve my problems for me. There's a personal accountability of you before God. Magnify Christ. If you need some encouragement from God's Word, I'd love to show you. And so as we come to the time of invitation this morning, Christian, man, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, just a time to pray and talk with God. If you're here for a first time and you're like, what in the world is he trying to do by having us close our eyes? All it is is, is the Spirit of God, as I've been preaching and the Word of God's gone forth, if the Spirit of God inside you, you feel some conviction, you feel God speaking to your heart, just a time for you to pray and talk with him, that's it. There's nothing funny going on, but you're welcome to just talk to the Spirit of God as he leads and he's working in your heart this morning. I pray if you're discouraged, begin to think of the things that are good that God has done. Maybe he's given you some family. Maybe he's given you uh, children. Maybe a place to live, clothes to wear. Uh, you know, there's many things that we could thank God for. If we can get our eyes off of all that's bad, begin to get our eyes on the things that God has done that are good, and say, Lord, help me. Help me. Give those burdens to him. He came to refresh us, to feed us. He's a whole lot better than any government that will ever exist. And Christian, rejoice. God is good. When you're done praying, look up and I'll conclude us in a word of prayer.